As we're still standing, let us pray together. Holy Spirit of the living God, we invite your presence and your power in this place that as we go into this phase of the service, you will speak to us and give us ears that listen, that you'll have fertile ground, that your word will go forth and not return void, but will accomplish that for which you have sent it. Have your way, be glorified and magnified in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated uh, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Stephen Shalita. I'm one of the adjunct clergy that is greatly privileged to serve here at Truro. And the theme of my sermon today is all in. And usually when I'm preaching, I like people to participate so that I'm sure that they are awake. So what you can do for me, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm all in. So I want you to be all in as we go through this service, and we'll see what the Lord wants to tell us about being all in. Now today we're getting closer to the end of the study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and the passage that we are sharing today is in chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, and it's one that you're so familiar with, most of you, because it's the bedrock of what Christians call spiritual warfare. It's the guideline that we use when we talk about spiritual warfare. Now, I checked to see the last time that I preached from this passage in Ephesians 6, and when I checked my notes, I found that the last time I'd preached on this passage, it was over a period of five weeks. So, uh, I, you know, what I want to do, my assignment for today is to try and condense the five weeks of teaching into 25 minutes, so help me God. So I need you all to know I'm in spiritual warfare immediately, and you need to be praying for me that I can be able to overcome, and that when it's all over, I'll still be standing. Now Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, is building a thesis, and to understand the end, we must look back at the beginning. And if you recall our journey through Ephesians, it's premised on our position in Christ. Everything we study about Ephesians is about this one thing, in Christ. In Christ this, in Christ that. Our position must be in Christ in order to understand the book of Ephesians. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Paul wants you to understand that. He says, before I go anywhere else, I want you to know the moment you're in Christ, you're automatically a, a person who appropriates blessings from God. So long as you're in that position, that's where he starts. And then it's very interesting that after that, he says, but, you know, in chapter 6, verse 10, and going forward, he says that after you've got all those blessings in Christ, now you've got to fight for it, to keep it. So you have a blessing, it's there, but you've got to fight in order to keep it. And this is not just about, uh, this is also about things that we enjoy every day. We, we say in this country, we celebrate the freedoms that we have received as a country, as a nation. But every day, we have men and women in uniform defending those freedoms. They have to fight for it. 
It doesn't mean we don't have it. We have it, but they have to fight in order to keep it. So this is what Paul is saying. You're going to have to fight in order to keep it. And, you know, the, we have to look at this in a, very, uh, in a very militaristic way that we are all soldiers. The moment that you invested your life in Christ, immediately you are conscripted to fight in this battle. It's not a suggestion. It's not like you can say, I have an option. I don't feel like fighting today. I, you know, I'm a, no, no, no. The moment that you became a Christian and took your position in Christ, you were immediately conscripted into the army of the Lord, and every single day you're in a fight, and there is no demilitarized zone. It's a constant fight. No break. So we must think of ourselves in this way, and in order to be effective in battle, you have to be all in. Cannot be a bit, it can't be, you know, here or there. You can't be a double agent. You've got to be all in. You've got to know which side you're fighting on because if you're not sure which side you're fighting on and you're moving between two sides, you're going to get shot. You're going to get killed. You're going to die. You're going to lose the battle. So you have to be all in. When you're in Christ, you can't be half in. You've got to be all in. And the good news is this, that to be all in means you're in it to win it. But the enemy knows where and how to get you. The Bible says that we need to be careful. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to be watchful. He's out to get you. The devil has very clear terms of reference. His terms of reference are threefold. To steal to kill, and to destroy. He's got no other job. That's his full job description. Every day, I don't know if the devil sleeps, but if he ever does, when he wakes up, his mission is the same, to steal, to kill, to destroy. So we can't be playing hunky-punky with the devil because he knows what he's up to. But do we know what we are up to? You would be foolish to confront an unknown enemy without being prepared. God trains us in his military academy to be fully equipped in this raging battle. And King David in Psalm 144.1, he says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. God trains us to be ready for the battle. He trains us. And so what Paul is saying here, he's just amplifying what the Lord wants us to do in this battle. And let me tell you something, God will never give you something or tell you to do something that he knows you cannot do. If God tells you to fight, he knows you're going to win. So God will never ask you, he, he will never ask you for more than you can give. And so Paul comes and uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 going forward up to verse 20, the first thing he tells us is, the first form of instruction he gives us is about our position. Paul reminds us of our position. He says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember, everything about Ephesians is in the Lord. So Paul is like, I'm reminding you again, be strong in the Lord. Don't start fighting in your own strength, because if you do, you're going to lose. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. You've got to be positioned in the Lord. I want to tell you, if you want to win every single battle, 
you're going to have to remain positioned in the Lord. I've traced my greatest moments of defeat, and when I check, I've stepped out of the Lord. It's not that the Lord has left me, it's I have left the Lord. I've stepped out of him. And every time I step out, I'm struck down. So the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I want you to see the urgency of that scripture. You've got to run into it. It doesn't say those who walk in it. No, 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 it's urgent. All the time, keep running back to base. What's base? The name of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's your default position. Paul says there is one thing that I want you to remember, and it's this. Everything you need is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. It's in the Lord. He's a mighty warrior. Without him, we can do nothing. And I want you to know that we need to be all into the Lord. You can't have your foot in there. It doesn't say that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those who have their foot in it are safe. In order to get full protection, you've got to be all in. So the second thing that Paul reminds us is about our participation and purpose. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The first thing he says, put on. You've got to do something about it. He says, put it on, and later on in verse 13, he says, take on, you know, take up. Put on and take up. Two things that require your action. Put on, and the reason he says that is because, you, you know, you can't put on the shield. You can't, you know, so you can't say, I'm going to put on a shield. No, you've got to take it up. So he says, put on. He also says, take up. But somebody has to do it, and that's you. That's me. We have to do it. Our God is a God who is participatory. He says, look, I've given you all that you need, but you've got to do something about it. And many of us, God is not interested in, uh, in, in lazy Christians. that say, now I'm saved and I don't have to do anything. And we have got, we've got this culture that's creeping up that Christians, we get so lazy and everything, we, anytime we don't want to fight, we just say, I bind that in the name of Jesus. I just bind that. And we, we just do that because we're not willing to fight. It's the easy way out. But sometimes you're not going to be able to bind things and throw things and just dismiss them as if they didn't happen. You're going to have to pray and fight for your life. That's what Paul is telling us here. Our participation. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, there are a couple of things that I want uh, uh, to be reminded of here. First is that it's the whole armor. It's all or nothing. The armor won't help you if you put on shoes can you imagine if all you did was put on shoes and you go out to the office? Would you say you're dressed? No. The armor only works if it's all together. It has to be the full armor. You can't use and pick and choose parts of it. You can't say, well, you know, I just like only faith, so I'm going to carry faith and I'm safe. Well, your head is not safe. It's going to strike your head. So you've got to take the armor in totality. First thing is the whole armor of God. The second, it's God's armor. We have to notice that. It's God's armor. Isaiah chapter 59 describes the Lord's armor and says that the Lord, our God, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. This is in Isaiah 59. God has used this armor. It's tested. And he can custom fit it to you. 
He knows its works. God is the only one in all creation, in all history, in everything, is the only one who has ever fought with the devil and defeated him decisively forever. So he's saying, if you do this, I know about this. I'm your command. I'm not, a, I'm not just a four-star general. I'm beyond stars. If you want to know how many stars God has, look at the galaxy. That's how many stars he has for a general. How is that for a general? He's got all the stars in the galaxy. And here, you know, we, we elevate people who have only four stars. Well, he says, well, you want, you want to know how many stars I am? Just look at the galaxy. So God says, I know this fight, and I want you to know this fight, and I want you to be invested in this fight. So we have to remember it's God's armor. Then lastly, we have to remember that the enemy we are fighting is schematic. He's cunning. He's a cunning enemy. You notice in the gospel that was read to us what he was saying to Jesus. He, he, he uses scripture. This is why we have to know the word of God. The enemy twists scripture. And you know, the Bible is twisted all the time. There are so many people who twist the Bible. So if you don't know what is right, it's interesting. In his conversation with God, he quotes the Bible and Jesus quotes the Bible. But the enemy does quote the Bible out of context. There's always a trick because he's a deceiver. And he quotes, if he quotes the Bible to the Lord, I mean, can you imagine the guts that he has? He's trying to, I mean, he's trying to quote the Bible to God who wrote the Bible. But that's what he does. He wants you to doubt yourself. And all his three temptations, he starts with if. He wants you to guess. He's messing with your mind. If you're the son of God. I don't need to be told if I'm a son of God. I tell people that usually if you hear a man standing in the house and, and he's saying, you will know who the man is. It means he's doubtful about who the man is. So the devil tries to introduce this moment of doubt in you. If, if you're a child of God, then how come this? If this, if that, if this, if that, if this. So he's, he's cunning, he's tricky, he's schematic. But the other thing that he does is that he will come for you and he will come for you at the worst possible time. And here's this, hear this. If he doesn't get you, what does the Bible say? He says in, uh, in chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, which was read for us, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. There is always an opportune time. He always strikes at the opportune time. We have to know he's, he's not foolish. He knows he's wily, he's crafty. And Paul says if you want to get into the ring with the devil, you better be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And you better put on the whole armor, and you better take, off the, take, take up the whole armor, lest the devil is going to knock you out. Because one blow where you've let down your guard really hurts. He strikes where it hurts. So Paul then gives us an intelligence briefing. And he says, I want to talk to you briefly about your opposition. This is the third thing that Paul wants to talk to us about, the opposition, the nature of the enemy. And he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, it's, it's, it's a very nice style that Paul uses here. He says, I want to tell you what you're fighting, but in order to tell you what you're fighting, let me remind you about what you're not fighting. 
Let me tell you, flesh and blood is not the real issue here. What Paul is saying that there is something behind. There is a spiritual thing that we don't see. And all of us are prone to be influenced by the devil. We have to be careful. So Paul says that we're not wrestling with flesh, flesh and blood. That's not the issue. But we're wrestling with against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The King James Version puts it uh, in a better way for me because it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I don't know. You know, there's been a big debate whether that defines the government of Satan or not. Now, whether it does or not, it really does seem pretty serious. That you've got principalities, you've got powers, you've got rulers of darkness of this age, you've got spiritual hosts of wickedness, and there are four places that I want to tell you where the battle is raging. And if you read the whole of Ephesians, you'll see that these four places, Paul actually talks about them, and I'll tell you what they are. Number one, the battle is within you. There is a battle that rages on in us. Paul describes this battle in one place. He says, the things that I want to do, I just can't do. And that which I don't want to do, that's what I do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It would be sad if he stops there, but then he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. There is a battle of the mind. He wants to confuse you. That's why he says, if. He's trying to confuse us all the time. He's very schematic. The battle is within you. Now, in military warfare, there is something that we call psyops, and these are psychological operations that sometimes when you're fighting the enemy, you use, you know, you, you do something, you try to mess with the mind of the enemy so that the, the enemy is confused and then you attack. So the enemy knows, Satan knows how to use psyops on us. He tries to influence our mind, so the battle is within you. Second, the battle is in the church. Some of us think we're in the church and we're insulated from the battle. The battle is raging in the church. Why? Because the enemy hates the church. And the enemy has really whacked us in this church sometimes. The battle keeps raging. And you know, one of the saddest things about it is that the devil will use anybody he can find within a church to achieve his agenda. And God forbid, but sometimes it's even us, people like me. The devil will use, one of the most sobering things that I saw uh, in the, the portion that was read to us in the gospel is that in Luke chapter 4 verse 8, the, God says, uh, he, the, Jesus tells the devil, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, fast forward, in Matthew chapter 16 verse 23, Peter comes and he talks to God. We're talking about Peter, the guy who preached this fiery sermon. On the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people came to Christ. So Peter then comes in, in, in 16, when we fast forward, Jesus used this, uses the exact same words to Peter. Peter is trying to tell, the, dev, the devil entered through Peter, and Jesus was, you know, he was like, you don't have to die. And Jesus uses the exact same words that used for the devil. He, told, he tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. What was he really saying that, even for you, Peter, who is a disciple, who is my close buddy, who is ever with me, the enemy has also penetrated you. He will penetrate anywhere. So the church is under attack. 
But here's the good news. The church of God will stand because it doesn't depend on the weaknesses of men like me, like you. The church will stand because God says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church doesn't stand because uh, Stephen is holy. The church doesn't stand because of me. It stands because of God and what he's doing in the church. But the enemy will attack the church. He will attack us. So we have to pray for the church. We have to be on guard as a church because the enemy will attack us. The third place is that the battle is at home. There's a battle raging at home. Paul talks about uh, husbands and wives, children and parents. The battle is raging there. You know it. You know it sometimes. I know it. I've been married for 26 years. If you don't know about battles, I know about battles that can happen in a home. We all know that. It will be, you know, so sometimes that you have that difficult child who is driving you crazy. And what Paul is saying that, yeah, the battle is at home. Why does the devil want to fight you at home? Because he knows a house divided against itself cannot stand. He wants to divide your house. God is a uniting God. The devil is always a dividing God, a dividing evil. God is a uniting God. The enemy is always dividing. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is that God is so... Uh, because you see, the devil is just an imitator and he cannot, he, he, can, he only copies what God does, but he does it in the extreme side or the opposite side. You know, in God's instinct, when we sin and we're uncovered, God's instinct is to cover us. That's his instinct, to cover. Because the Bible says his love covers a multitude of sins. What does the enemy do? He likes to expose our sins all the time and say, oh, you got you, you're the one, you're the one, you're this, you're that. So he, he, he does the opposite. So we need to be careful. The battle is at home. And that's why we need to establish altars in our home and pray in our homes and say, this home is for the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you make a stand in your home. You've got to do that. And then finally, the battle is at work. Paul talks about slaves and masters, employees and bosses, and the battle rages on there about people who have been given authority over others and we who are under authority of others that sometimes the devil will bring confusion. Why? Because the favor of God rests on you and it doesn't matter. Even when you work at church like these gentlemen do, the devil is not happy. He'll still he'll bring chaos in your line of work. The devil is going after us in, at our workplaces and you need to be careful about where you work and how you work, to pray for the Lord to guard you. Remain in the Lord where you work. It doesn't mean that if you work in church, you're insulated. No. Instead, if you work in church, you've got to be double insulated because you know you're under double attack. So the enemy is out to get us in these four places. And so these principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age, they come against us and they're all not physical things. They're all spiritual things. And so our weapons have got to not be physical because you cannot confront this, uh, th these things that are not physical with physical beings. So Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty unto God for the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons that we have are not carnal. 
So we have to see what are those weapons, and those weapons is what are described here. The full armor of God consists of all the weapons that we need, but remember, we have to use all of them together. So the fourth and last thing that Paul tells us is about our progression and posture. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Remember he had said, put on, now he's like, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You know, in boxing, what they do is the evidence that you're still in the fight is if you can stand. Because when they knock you down, they start counting. One, two, three, four, until you get up again. Then they say, oh, the fight is still on. So the, the Bible is saying, having done all to stand. And let me tell you, sometimes you're going to be struck down. I get struck down all the time. But the Bible says the righteous man gets struck down seven times, but he get, that's not the point. He gets up and keeps going. That's the greater point. So you're going to be struck down, but you're not struck out. So he's saying, having done all, you need to stay standing. You need to have a posture of standing and say, I'm going to stand. And when I was young, we used to sing a song called Standing on the Promises of God. So be careful where you stand. What are you standing on? I'm standing on the rock, and I'm standing in the promises of God. I'm only standing because God said I can do it. And you can only stand by grace. Nothing else. Only grace. Only grace. We would all be fallen save for grace. So we'll be struck down, but God help us so that we can get up. And that when all is said and done, we will be standing. So there are seven pieces of armor, and you know, people say there are six. I say there are seven because prayer is not considered a part of the armor. And I say, you're joking. That is a critical part of the armor. So there are six pieces. There are six pieces, you know, truth, righteousness, shoes with the readiness of the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. And it says prayer. For me, prayer is the one that seals it all together. Because I say there are seven, because seven in the Bible stands for completion. It's not going to be complete without prayer. Prayer is so important. We need to pray, people. We need to pray. Pray for your family. Pray for yourself. Pray for your work. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your clergy. Pray for the church. Pray, pray, pray. We need to pray. So prayer is important. Now, as I conclude... I want to tell you, I've not gone into every aspect of the armor, and I've done that deliberately. Well, two, two, two things why I've done that. One is because I want you to go and do something about it. Go and read about it. I'm only giving you the appetizer so that you can go home and have the entree. You've got to do something. Remember I said you can't just be lazy, leaving me to do all the work. You go and start reading about uh, these, these pieces of armor and what you've got to do with them. But I want to tell you something. I'll only talk about two of them because I think they are so important. The first one is the, the, the one which Paul chooses to use first, and it's the belt of truth. Why does Paul, of all the pieces, why doesn't he start with the sword of the spirit? Why does he start with truth? It's because he knows one of the devil's greatest, greatest tricks in anything he does is lies. Why? Because he's the father of lies. And remember, Jesus is the way, the truth. So the devil has to be the father of 
Lies. So Paul starts with truth. The truth is going to be key. Truth is a defense. Be true to yourself, be true to others. Truth is a defense. The second one that I wanted to highlight is the helmet of salvation because it's one of those misunderstood. Many times Christians feel that, oh, well, everything is okay with me because I'm saved. The helmet of salvation is just one piece of the armor. One out of seven. So it doesn't mean that if you're saved, you're insulated. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't get to fight. I'm good. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in heavenly places. Oh, yes, you are. Now you've got to fight for it to defend it. Okay, and then the last one that I want to really emphasize is prayer because I said prayer, is the, it says praying at all times in the spirit. We need to start praying in the spirit. There's, there's prayers that we can speak out, but we need to pray in the Spirit, guided by the Spirit of God into prayer. It's so important because the Spirit knows how to fight for us. So we need to pray in the Spirit, keeping alert with all perseverance and making supplication for all the saints. You need to pray for each other. That's why we have prayers for the people every Sunday. We need to pray for each other. So finally, I want to tell you this. I want to end on a good note. And I want to end this way, that the battle has already been won for us. It's good to fight when you know the battle has been won. And this is what Paul says already in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. He says that this is the greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is the body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. So, I want you to know this. The enemy, remember I told you, is the accuser of the brethren. He always comes to attack you by reminding you of the past, of where he has struck you down. And I want to give you one piece of information that will help you. Every time the enemy reminds you about your past, remind him about his future. Because it's already, oh, it's already done. It's already done for us. Now, as many of you know, I come from Africa, and I just want to clarify here that Africa is not a country, but comprises of 54 countries, and one of those countries is Mozambique. And in Mozambique, they, they were occupied by the Portuguese, and uh, they, they had to fight for their independence. And the leader of the Portuguese movement called Frelimo that was fighting was a man called Samora Machel. And when he spoke, he always had these words. He would always say, a luta continua, victoria asata. And now, what does that mean? That we are constantly in struggle. We're going to keep wrestling. And so he says that, look, the battle, the struggle continues. A luta continua. The struggle continues. But it would be incomplete unless he said, victoria asata. But victory is certain. And that is why I'm all in. Amen.